Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. A terrific Thursday to one and all. Welcome into the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we're going to be coming at you with one of our friends from Odd Shark in the second segment, as Scott Hastings is going to be my guest. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're going to be recapping the trade deadline, so we're going to be going through all those moves. We're going to be looking at some of the games on tap for Thursday. It's going to be a great time. And in the final segment, I will give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. Did not get in any Twitter questions in regards to the Twitter mailbag. The only ones I really got in were with regards to the trade deadline and myself and Scott Hastings are going to be going through all those, not necessarily yelling out Twitter handles or anything like that, but we're going to be going through all those moves in the second segment. So let's take a look back at yesterday's results. Let's try to find some trends and let's try to become better handicappers from it. What trends should you pay attention to? Well, Greg is going to tell you what he has on the black. It's a good thing that the Atlanta Braves went out and acquired some bullpen out because it was not necessarily the best. They did get a 5-4 win though in 10 innings against Washington Nationals on Wednesday as they were able to get a pair of home runs that powered them. Adam Duvall, his fourth home run of the year, he has been terrific since getting called up from AAA. And Josh Johnson in the 10th inning had the difference maker, his 25th as the Nationals. They also had some bullpen woes. They traded for some as well. But for the Atlanta Braves, no woes with one Mike Soroka on the mound. Seven innings pitch. 
gives up just one run, gets a no decision. He continues to be terrific. And for the Atlanta Braves, they wind up giving up three runs and three innings out of the bullpen. Luke Jackson gives up two of those runs without getting a single out. So that's obviously a little bit of an issue. And for the Washington Nationals, Audible Sanchez... Did not have the best of starts in this one. He has looked good ever since the beginning of May. But in this one, five innings pitch. Gives up 10 hits, four runs, all of which were earned. And then I will say, from there, the bullpen was good. Sean Doolittle did give up that home run. But five innings pitch by this bullpen. They only give up that solo home run by Sean Doolittle. And that includes Fernando Rodney making an appearance and not giving up a run. And for the Washington Nationals, they still have some power. Matt Adams, his 17th home run of the year. And Juan Soto is 20th. The Cincinnati Reds continue to play under over 60% of their games, have one under so far this year, and they get a 4-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. Luis Castillo just continues to be terrific. He's given out more than two earned runs in just one home start this year. Seven innings pitch, gives up one run from there. The bullpen of the Cincinnati Reds, which has been in the bottom five in regards to ERA the past 30 days. They go two innings, they don't give up a single hit. And for the Reds, they were able to get a pair of home runs. Jesse Winker is 15th of the year, and Eugenio Suarez is 29th. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Dario Agrazil, not the start that you want. He gave up both of those home runs, three and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Got to give it to the bullpen here, though. Four and a third innings, they give up just one run in the process. But for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the... Bats have really went cold for this team. They wind up getting a total of six hits. They just had nothing going as the power for this team has really left them. The Arizona Diamondbacks were badly hurt by a rain delay on Wednesday as they wind up falling to the New York Yankees by a count of 7-5. to five. They were also hurt by the fact that Zach Greinke was only able to go five innings due to that rain delay. He gave up two runs in the process. He then was traded to the Houston Astros, I actually think during that rain delay too. It might have been a little bit after it, but it was right around that time period. Then the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen, which has been woeful recently, gives up a combined five runs in three innings for the Diamondbacks. Not a whole lot doing with men in scoring position. Two of 12 in that regard. They leave 10 on base. One good sign for the team is that Tim LaCastro in the ninth inning was able to get his first home run of the year. That was off of Nestor Cortez Jr.'s Masahiro Tanaka. Continues to not be giving good starts for the Yankees. He only gave up two runs in this one, but he had, but he only made up four innings. From there, you had the Yankees bullpen having to go a grand total of five innings. They gave up three runs, two of which were earned. They burnt out all their arms on this day, but they also got a pair of home runs from unlikely sources. Mike Talkman is seventh of the year, and Austin Romine is fourth. This Yankees team just continues to prove their depth. And for the Yankees, just their second over at home since the All-Star break, so... Yankee Stadium has been letting up too many runs. The Kansas City Royals are not scoring a lot of runs right now as they lose to the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 4-1. to one. For the Kansas City Royals, their lone run came off of a solo home run of Cam Gallagher. His second of the year, that one came off of Jacob Wagiespak, who was very good for the Toronto Blue Jays. And Jacob Junis wound up being able to give quite a few innings for the Kansas City Royals, going seven innings, but he wound up getting lit up late in this game. He gave up four runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. One of those runs came in the seventh inning, and two of those runs came in the eighth as he wound up pitching five scoreless, and he was just left out there a little bit too long. For the Toronto Blue Jays, I mentioned Wagiespak. He goes six innings, giving up just that solo home run, and then you had the bullpen combined for three innings, not giving up a single hit for that regard, and they do lose Danny Hudson, but all in all, this Toronto Blue Jays bullpen has been performing admirably, and for the Blue Jays, they were able to get a pair of home runs. Bo Bichette gets his first home run as a big leaguer, and Freddie Galvis is 16th as the Toronto Blue Jays have now won four out of their last five games. They look to be heating up. The LA Dodgers wind up taking their series against the Colorado Rockies, winning the final game by a cut of 5-1. to one. And in this one, we saw something that we haven't seen this decade as the game between the Rockies and the Dodgers was 0-0 going in the ninth inning. 
first time this decade in which a game at Coors Field was 0-0 going into the ninth inning, and Hunjin Ryu just continues to be magic. He's given up more than two earned runs in one start since the beginning of May, and he lowers his ERA to a 166. Six innings pitch, does not give up a single run. You did have JT Torrigos give up a run out of the bullpen, but that's all that was allowed by the Dodgers, and the Dodgers were able to score all five runs in the ninth inning as he got a pair of home runs from a couple unlikely sources. Christopher Nigeron gets his second home run of the year, newly acquired from the Seattle Mariners, and Will Smith got jiggy with it for his fifth home run of the year. Yes, I'm going to continue to make that joke. And for the Colorado Rockies, have to like what you've seen out of Herman Marquez. Six innings pitch, does not give up a single run. Take a look at his last three starts, a combined 20 innings, giving up four runs in those, so he looks to be turning the corner, but Wade Davis, out there in the bullpen, not looking good. He now has a 6.82 ERA. He gave up all five of those runs, including both home runs. Things not going well in that regard, and the Rockies have the worst bullpen ERA over the last 30 days out there in Major League Baseball, so that is a massive issue. The Angels are having their issues as this team has now lost five out of their last seven games against the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles as the Tigers completely down them by a count of 9-1. to one. No Nick Castellanos, no problem for the Tigers as they were able to get a trio of home runs. Gordon Beckham, his fifth of the year. Brandon Dixon continues to be the best power hitter on this team. He gets his 14th home run of the year. And then their new catcher, Jake Rogers, winds up getting his first home run of the year. And I think that was his first of the career. And Daniel Norris actually looking good in this one. He has now went 11 and a third innings over the course of his last two starts. And I believe he's given up one earned run in those two starts. He goes five innings in this one. And then from there, the bullpen winds up going a combined four innings, giving up just one hit. No earned runs. The Detroit Tigers bullpen looks to have turned the corner. And for the LA Angels, their lone run of the game came off of a Mike Trout home run, his 35th of the year. That actually did come off the bullpen, so they gave up one run. But still, all in all, a very good showing. But Jose Suarez, the starter for the Angels, has to be on your fade list. Now he's a 5.66 ERA. Four and a third innings gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And the Angels bullpen continues to have issues as well as they wound up having Luis Garcia come into the game. And he probably gave up five runs in an inning, giving up two of those home runs. So, needless to say, the Angels are in a massive funk. The Philadelphia Phillies have been up and down ever since the All-Star break. And this is a team that has scored four runs or fewer in 12 out of their 17 games since the break as they get down by the Giants by a count of 5-1. to one. And it was a five spot by the Giants in the sixth inning that was able to power them. As in that inning, you had three home runs. Pablo Sandoval, his 14th of the year. Kevin Pillar, his 13th. And Buster Posey, his 6th. Those came off of a combination of Vince Velasquez and Adam Morgan. Adam Morgan out of the bullpen did not have a good day. He winds up getting one out and he gives up two of those home runs. Velasquez wound up pitching five innings of scoreless baseball. And then in the sixth, he winds up giving up one of those home runs and two earned runs in total. So things not going well for the Phillies there as they just weren't able to generate a lot of offense in this one as Jeff Samarja continue to look terrific. He's had really one bad start in the month of July and past that he's been dynamite. Six innings pitch in this one does not give up a single run and for the Giants they've now won 21 out of their last 28 games and the bullpen winds up going in combined three innings. They give up one run. Now do note the Giants have had one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. Mark Melanson and Tony Watson got traded on this day but it looks like they still have a lot of firepower and they still look to be contenders out there for the wild card. The Tampa Bay Rays are certainly contenders out there in the American League for a wild card spot and they get an 8 to 5 win over the Boston Red Sox. For the Rays, Andrew Kittredge served as the opener, getting seven outs, giving up one unearned run in the process. Ryan Yarbrough is a bulk guy, did not necessarily have the best of stuff. Four and a third innings, he gives up 
four runs, all of which were earned, including a pair of home runs. J.D. Martinez goes deep for his 23rd of the year, and Michael Chavis is 17th, but then from there, the Tampa Bay Rays do not give up any runs out of the bullpen, though they were in a little bit of danger. And for the Rays, they were putting on a hip parade in this one themselves. Willie Adams is 13th home run of the year. Austin Meadows is 16th, and Kevin Kiermeyer is 11th as Rick Porcello. Another rough outing in this one. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned, including those three home runs. He apparently punched some TVs in the clubhouse after being pulled from the game as well. You don't like to see that. He's got to be a guy that you're taking overs and fading at this point. And then for the Red Sox bullpen, they wind up going a combined three and a third innings, giving up two runs in the process. That's Heath Embry wound up giving up both of those runs. And the Boston Red Sox are on quite an overtrain right now. Each of their last six home games have went over, and 10 out of their last 12 at Fenway Park have all went over. The Minnesota Twins know a thing or two about overs as well. They wind up taking down the Miami Marlins by a count of 7-4. The Minnesota Twins continue to be the most profitable road team out there in the big leagues as they were able to get a trio of home runs in this one. Max Kepler is 29th, Eddie Rosario is 23rd, and Mitch Carver is 20th. Those are just insane numbers as Sandy Alcantara. It did not go well for him. He gave up all three of those home runs, and he gave up all seven of those runs. They were all earned. Give some credit to the bullpen. They went four and a third innings. They didn't give up a single run, and then Brad Anderson in the ninth inning was able to make the score respectable. He gets a grand slam for his 16th home run of the year, but Jose Barrios before them was able to provide seven innings, not giving up a single run, 11 punch outs for him. Sean Poppin wound up being the man that gave up that grand slam. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. As the Minnesota Twins, they are getting some bullpen reinforcements as well, but that has to be a little bit of an issue with this team, but obviously they were able to get the job done thanks to their offense in that one. The Cleveland Indians made like the Cleveland Windians on Wednesday as they were able to take down the Houston Astros by a count of 10-4. to 4. Jose Uraquati winds up getting just completely destroyed for the Houston Astros as the Indians wind up belting out two home runs off of them and then they got to Colin McHugh for two more home runs as the Indians got home runs off the bat of Carlos Santana his 23rd of the year. Jason Kipnis his 9th. Roberto Perez then went deep twice. His 17th and 18th home runs of the year as Urquidy winds up going four innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned, and then McHugh gives up four runs in one inning out of the bullpen. Needless to say, things were not ideal there, though. The good news for the Houston Astros is that Carlos Correa is looking very good coming off the injured list. His 13th home run of the year, that came off of Zach Plesak, who didn't necessarily give the best start in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including that home run, but for the Indians, they continue to have the number one bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. They go four strong innings, not even giving up as much as a hit in this one, and the Cleveland Indians, needless to say, they were able to find their bet. The Oakland A's continue to struggle. This is a team that has not covered a run line in over two weeks, and they wind up losing outright to the Milwaukee Brewers by a count of 4-2. to two. This is the first start in Jordan Lyle's career in which the team he started for actually won. He was 0-18 going into this night. Five innings pitch, he just gives up one run. Perhaps a change of scenery he needed. He was a bit successful with the Brewers last year, so that really helped him out. And then from there, the bullpen able to go a combined four innings. They give up one run. Now, do note that Josh Hader has now been used in back-to-back days, so unlikely to be able to pitch on Thursday. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, they were able to get a leadoff home run in this one off the bat of Lorenzo Cain, his eighth of the year as that came off of Brett Anderson. And Anderson, not necessarily the worst star in the world, not necessarily the greatest seven-innings pitch. He did give up that leadoff home run, and he winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned from there. The bullpen goes two innings. They give up one run, so the A's bullpen continues to be pretty solid, but the bats in this one just were not able to wake up, though a good sign for the Oakland A's. Nick Martini wound up making his first start of the year. Lucas Giolito is now seeing a little bit of regression, though this one was not his fault as his team was unable to pull it out. 4-2 to the final in this one. Lucas Giolito 
is becoming less and less profitable by the day. But in this one, seven innings pitch, he gives up one run. You can't blame this on him. That was a very solid start. It was Adam Colome, who has been a very reliable player for the White Sox, giving up three runs in the ninth inning. All those were unearned, though, as Tim Anderson creates his 17th error of the year. I always mention it whenever you bring up errors and when to take fielding into account and everything like that. The White Sox just seem to have the worst fielding out there in the big leagues, aside from maybe the Seattle Mariners, who we're going to get to in a minute. But Jacob deGrom, another great start in this one, and the bullpen was able to hold it down for him. Seven innings pitch. He gives up just one run, 11 strikeouts. You did have Edwin Diaz give up a run out there in the bullpen, but they were able to get a nice cushion thanks to being able to get those three runs in the ninth inning. And for the Chicago White Sox, this is a team that has scored three runs or fewer, I believe, in 14 out of 18 games since the All-Star break. It might be 15 out of their 19, but in all but four of their games since the All-Star break, they've scored three runs or fewer. So needless to say, that's been pretty woeful. The offense in the Cubs-Cardinals game was also woeful as the Cardinals wind up losing and getting shut out by the Cubs by a count of 2-0. Kyle Hendricks, who hasn't necessarily been the best on the road this year, he delivered a gem. Seven innings pitch. He gives up seven hits, but he's able to evade danger, not giving up a single run as the Cardinals had 11 at-bats with men in scoring position in the first four innings alone. They were unable to cash in. And then the Cubs, though Craig Kimbrell made things interesting at the end, get two innings out of the bullpen, not giving up a single run. And for the Cubs, they wound up going one for eight with men in scoring position as well as the St. Louis Cardinals gave up both of their runs in unearned fashion. Miles Mikolas, a good start. Five and two-thirds innings. They, he gives up one run. That was an unearned run. And then John Gant gives up a run out of the bullpen. That was an unearned run as well as the St. Louis Cardinals continue to have a top-five bullpen out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA. But a pair of errors are the reason why the Cubs scored both of their runs. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they have nobody to blame but themselves for this loss. Two of 15 with men in scoring position. And then to wrap things up, it was the Texas Rangers being able to get a win for Mike Miner by a count of 9-7. to seven. In this one, Mike Miner was not sharp. Five innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including a home run. And being able to go deep for the Seattle Mariners in this one was Keon Broxton. That was actually off of the bullpen. That was his fifth of the year. And then the man that actually went deep off of Miner, Austin Nola, is fourth of the year. But the Texas Rangers on this one were able to pick him up as they were able to really get to Wade LeBlanc. Four and a third innings for LeBlanc. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned. He seems to be the one Seattle Mariners starter that actually did benefit from an opener. As whenever an opener doesn't go for him, he just seems to get roughed up. And then from there, you had the bullpen of the... Seattle Mariners go three and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs, two of which were earned. As for the Texas Rangers, they were able to get a couple deep balls off of the bat of Willie Calhoun, his seventh of the year, and Sinchu Chu is 18th as the Texas Rangers continue to be a vastly different team home to road. At home this year, the Texas Rangers have been one of the most profitable teams out there in the big leagues as they have posted up a record of 32-22 and 22 on the road. 22 and 32. So that is something that you want to note. And what do we all want to note from the day that was in baseball on Wednesday? The Atlanta Braves and Washington Nationals both having some woes with the bullpen, but the Atlanta Braves are now 21 and 5 as a road favorite this year. That courtesy of our man Guppy Money, Sean Harnish, who has joined this podcast many times. The Cincinnati Reds continue to play unders, and the Pittsburgh Pirates now 3-16 and 16 since the All-Star break. They're a little bit useless. The Arizona Diamondbacks are no longer going to be able to rely upon Zach Greinke for road starts, but they continue to be a much better offense on the road than at home. They just had a rain delay, unfortunately derailed their game against the New York Yankees. The Toronto Blue Jays have all of a sudden gotten hot, and the Kansas City Royals are all of a sudden in a little bit of a funk. Unders appear to have a return to Coors Field as each of the last three games at Coors have went under. 
The LA Angels are really struggling right now. The Philadelphia Phillies have not been scoring too many runs since the All-Star break, and the San Francisco Giants just get great starting pitching and relief pitching. The Cleveland Indians appear to be really hot with their bats. The Tampa Bay Rays look to be getting back into the wild card hunt. Meanwhile, the Boston Red Sox continue to play overs at home. Jose Barrios continues to be very good at home. Meanwhile, Sandy Alcantara looks like a little bit of regression has set in for him. The Chicago Cubs are still 10 games below 500 at home, but they were able to break the streak of 10 straight games between the Cardinals and the Cubs in which a home team was able to win every one of them. The Texas Rangers continue to be profitable at home. The New York Mets continue to get great starts out of Jacob deGrom. And the Milwaukee Brewers might have found exactly what they needed in Jordan Lyles. So that was what we all learned from baseball on Wednesday. Let's turn the page forward to Thursday. Let's take a little bit of a look back at the trade deadline and what it means moving forward, especially on today's games, as our good buddy from Odd Shark, Scott Hastings, joins me to discuss all that next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Heal Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. It is great to have on our next guest. As you guys know, I always love having the guys on from Odd Shark. They all do terrific work. It's what I always quote whenever I talk about most and least profitable pitchers if you lay $100 down on them. And this is one of the gentlemen that is doing tremendous work for them. He not only does MLB, but he does college basketball, college football, MMA, boxing. The list goes on and on. And you can follow him on Twitter at ScottyH underscore OS. It is one of our favorites. Scott Hastings joining me right here on the podcast. And Scott, how are you? I'm doing well. And I even wrote an article about the CrossFit games starting tomorrow. So a little bit of everything, like you mentioned. Oh, that is fantastic. And what else is fantastic <clears throat> is the fact that We've got just so much going on in baseball right now because yesterday the trade deadline came and went. Obviously, I would say the biggest move was Zach Greinke getting traded. He winds up starting for the Arizona Diamondbacks yesterday. By the end of the day, he winds up being a member of the Houston Astros. Looks like Nick Castellanos went to the Chicago Cubs. Some of this is breaking just as we do this. The Braves acquire some bullpen help as well as their bullpen didn't necessarily look the best on Wednesday, so needless to say, good that they've got Shane Green and Mark Melanson on the way. Who do you think were the biggest winners and losers of this trade deadline? Oh, I think right there, you nailed it. It's the Houston Astros. The, the rich get richer in this situation, picking up an ace stud like Zach Greinke. You know, it was, what, two years ago, three years ago that they basically stole Justin Verlander from Detroit for practically nothing, and it almost feels like the same situation, although... Arizona's getting a few prospects in return. It's not the haul for an ace like that. So hopefully people get their futures bet in early and take advantage of the books because I think the Astros have to be the favorites now. I do agree with you. And with the Houston Astros, I thought that they were the best team in the majors even before this deal because they were getting back Carlos Correa. We know that George Springer and Jose Altuve were out for quite a period of time. They still have Garrett Cole. Wade Miley has looked good. We all know what Justin Verlander can do, as you just mentioned. I just felt like they were that one starter away. And, well, you know what? Zach Granke, I think that'll cut it. Well, think about like a five-game series now. You go Verlander, Granke, Garrett Cole. One, two, three. Good luck. <laughs> like that's It's just absolutely insane. And as you mentioned, they've dealt with the injuries all season long. And yet, they have the largest run differential in the majors. 
and they have an eight-game lead over the A's. You know, the rich get richer, as I said earlier. It's absolutely insane. Frustrating for the rest of your teams or some future bets that might be out there. But yeah, it's also very exciting to see this team take another run for it. I do agree with you. As We've got Scott Asings joining me right here on the podcast. Obviously, the Houston Astros made some massive upgrades. I think that that's huge. But I think the biggest loser at the trade deadline might be the San Diego Padres. The San Diego Padres wind up trading away Fanmiel Reyes. They get in return Trammell, the outfielder that was like the number 30 prospect from MLB Pipeline. I really feel like stock is down on the San Diego Padres right now with not having that power bat. This is a team that wasn't hitting well in general with regards to their batting average. They had a lot of power with Hunter Renfro. What was Fenmiel Reyes and Manny Machado along with Eric Cosmer? Now you take that out and fold. I do think that the Padres might be a good fade moving forward. I, I don't understand the move by the Padres because... Me neither. Fenmiel Reyes is like 24 years old and they've got more than enough outfielders. Yeah, and then you spend all this money bringing in Manny Machado in the offseason... So you think that you want to build around the team. Instead, I feel like they went in the wrong direction, as you mentioned. Like, I do not understand the move whatsoever. I don't even know why they were part of this three-team deal. I'm sure the Indians and the Reds, of course, Puig and Trevor Bauer, the other parts in this three-team trade, like, I'm sure they could have figured something out and left the Padres alone, but... Apparently, they had to take advantage of San Diego. So be it, I guess. And we all remember, I believe the San Diego Padres traded Corey Kluber to the Cleveland Indians as well for close to nothing. So the Indians leasing the San Diego Padres, the the gift that keeps on giving. And you do actually have the San Diego Padres in action on Thursday, by the way. They're going to be taking on the L.A. Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw is going to be going for the Dodgers. Joey LaCasey for the San Diego Padres. Right now, you're seeing the Dodgers as about a $2 favorite. I do recall just before the All-Star break, the Padres were able to take three games in L.A. in that series, but I just don't see that happening once again, especially with Famio Reyes out of the fold. The Dodgers really didn't make a whole lot of trade deadline moves. I think that they did acquire a couple bats. I know that they now have Tyler White from the Houston Astros in the fold, and I believe that they picked up Nagarin from the Seattle Mariners, but all in all, they stayed pretty pat, but I do think that this is a spot where the Dodgers should win by multiple runs. Oh, 100%. You know, you saw the All-Star break might have been a big factor for Clayton Kershaw because going into the All-Star break, he had dropped three games. He had given up about nine earned runs over three starts. He just was sort of looking like, although, you know, you're not going to complain about nine runs over three starts, but that's not the Clayton Kershaw that we were seeing earlier in the year where he was just mowing everyone down. Now he's come out of the break. He's allowed three earned runs over three starts. Quality starts just keep coming in for Clayton this year. Absolutely terrific. Three straight wins coming back home where he threw a goose egg against Miami. Granted, it's the Marlins, so don't get too excited about that. But I can imagine a similar situation when he takes the hill. It's hard to bet against LA at home. They've been absolutely dynamite. And we've already wrapped on the Padres as it is. But, you know, why not make some money off of their demise? Oh, absolutely, especially when you take a look at the L.A. Dodgers for the year. They have been so good at home, approximately 40-14, and 14, as we do have Scott Asings joining me right here on the podcast. And I do think that it is going to be really interesting to see how these games play out because we do have a couple games that, as we're doing this podcast, they are off the board. But you do mention the Miami Marlins. They do have Jordan Yamimoto on the mound. They are going to be going up against the Minnesota Twins. I will say Michael Pineda, since coming off the injured list in June, 
has looked absolutely stellar. He's going to be going up against Yamimoto. Looks like the Minnesota Twins, as we're doing this, about a minus 155 favorite and a total of eight. Last time we saw Yamimoto, he got destroyed, but in his first five or so starts, he did look very good. What do you make out of this one? Because I could honestly see an under with the way that the Marlins pitching has been and the way that the Marlins, let's face it, just don't generate a lot of offense. Yeah, and, and you know, Yamamoto has been pretty good, as you said. Like, he got roughed up in his last two starts, actually, but the Dodgers and then at home uh, to Arizona. So was that a blip on the radar or was this what he is and now teams have gotten enough footage and they figured him out? It's sort of hard to bet one way or another, just because it is back-to-back starts. So you got to wonder, as the footage comes out, maybe he's tipping his pitches or whatever. And Pineda, yeah, he's been fine. There's no real complaints. He's pitching enough to get the wins. And I think that's important for Minnesota at this point, as they're in that battle with Cleveland. And you know, Minnesota's been scoring some runs since the All-Star break. I think they're in the top 10, at least, for runs scored. But bullpen-wise, they just sort of been middle of the pack. So starting pitcher-wise, I like the under. I always get worried about those bullpens coming into play. I do, too. You can just not trust a lot of bullpens out there in the big leagues these days. So I will say, for the Miami Marlins, their bullpen has been a little bit better. And a team that has the best bullpen out there in the big leagues is the Cleveland Indians. But they do have the task of going up against the Houston Astros that we were talking about a little bit earlier. The Astros tried out there one of their many aces. Garrett Cole is going to be going out the bump on this one. And he's about a minus 185 or so favorite. And we've got something really intriguing with the Cleveland Indians. Making his first start of the year is Danny Salazar. I'm one of those people, I always just have such a tough time betting on a guy in their first start. Especially with the Houston Astros making some big moves, showing that they are in it for, for the long haul, getting back Carlos Correa. I just don't know if I'd be able to take the Indians in this spot, though I will say... The big plus price and having that bullpen is intriguing. It is a tricky spot for nothing more than the price because I think that 60% of the time the Houston Astros win this game, but I just don't know if it's worth laying the number. Yeah, it's it's just tricky because, you know, Garrett Cole has been incredible this year. Was very possibly could be the AL Cy Young winner. Danny Salazar, he's got electric stuff, but making the first start of the year, is he going to pitch four innings, five innings, two innings? Like, it's so volatile, so you can't really get a gauge, you know, over, under, or the side, because any sign of trouble, he's going to be pulled from the game. That's an automatic. Is he going to be on a pitch count? Because I haven't heard anything thus far. So you're looking at that situation of what is the leash there? And then, like you say, if they only trot him over there for three or four innings and he pitches well, and then you go to that bullpen that has been absolute dynamite, the under is probably your better play. And even more intriguing with Danny Salazar, not only is this his first start in 2019, this is his first start since 2017. I don't know how you gauge guys that have not made a start in such a long time. Denelson Lamette, good example of this for the San Diego Padres. I've just been fading him every time. It's been highly profitable for me. I know that they had one win the Padres did when they faced off against the New York Mets last week with him on the mound, but all in all, he just has not been delivering a lot, but Typically with these guys that make their first start in such a long time, I remember doing it with Jimmy Nelson as well. I've been fading them and it's been profitable, but typically you're actually having to lay a number with these guys. With the plus price, I think that just adds a whole nother wrinkle with it because typically when a guy is making their first start, like I was saying earlier, this is a fade spot. Yeah, I'm probably going to stay away from the side just 
for the points I pointed out before, just a little too volatile for me, but I would be interested in the under, I think would be the route that I would go for this game. Absolutely. As we do have Scott Hastings joining me right here on the podcast. And Scott, I know that we've got a lot of intriguing games on the board for Thursday. Not necessarily a big board, but with the Cubs versus St. Louis Cardinals series, I have found a really interesting trend with this. Now, this was going into Wednesday's game. We don't know how that one shook out yet, but the first 10 games between these two teams, home team won all 10. Jack Flaherty's been looking very good for the St. Louis Cardinals. Meanwhile, John Lester looking a bit resurgent for the Chicago Cubs. Right now, as I'm seeing it, the Cardinals are about a minus 120 favorite, total of eight and a half. This is one where I'm probably going to be looking at the Cardinals with the recent form of Flaherty and the bullpen of the Cardinals looking so good. But with this total at eight and a half opened up at nine, I'm going to have to be looking at the under as well. Yeah, and John Lester always is a better performer at home than he is on the road. He has come out of the second half and has looked pretty good. But we've seen this with John Lester so many times that he lulls you in a sense of security almost where you're like, oh, there's no way that he allows more than two runs, and then he gets the doors blown off. I think we talked earlier in the season, probably, let I'm going to say May-ish, early May, that John Lester had been absolutely dynamite at home with a sub-1 ERA. I was on your show. I said that he's going to continue that trend. I don't know if he lasted more than four innings. So John Lester's one of those guys that I think you got him, and he shows you something different. I like Jack Flaherty on the other side of things. You know, start of the year, I thought he was going to be a contender for the NL Cy Young, and he hasn't really performed, but he hasn't had a lot of run support either. He's pitched good enough, I think. He just doesn't get the extra help to get him those wins, and maybe it's a confidence thing, but he's looked terrific in July. So, yeah, I think the cards are a good play at home. And did you have the total? I'm seeing it at eight and a half, although it did open Mm. up at nine. So we're seeing some money coming in on the under already. Yeah, no, I think the under would be the smart play here because, as you mentioned, both guys playing very well. Flaherty, as I say, has been terrific over the last five or so starts. So I think the under is a strong play at this point, yeah. I am right there with you. And then we noticed that the New York Mets wound up not trading Zach Wheeler. We all know that he was out there on the trade market a little bit. Noah Syndergaard was as well. The Mets appear to be trying to make a run. What kind of a run? I hope it's for 2020 because if they really think that they're going to be getting into the playoff race this year, they are a little bit delusional. But we are seeing that the New York Mets are going up against Dylan Cease, a guy that has a lot of promise as a prospect, but this year, not necessarily as year. The Mets are right now playing anywhere between minus 155 and minus 165, and a total on this game of nine and a half. Dylan Cease has been awful. Zach Wheeler, though, he has been a mess. His ERA is north of four. He's been giving up quite a few long balls so far this year. What do you make out of this one? Just because I think we both agree the White Sox have been arguably the worst offense since the All-Star break. I think that in 12 out of their first 16 games coming out of the break, they scored three runs or fewer. Just has not been going well for that team in general. Yeah, well, are you really surprised? I figured the White Sox were going to be the worst team in baseball this year. Them and Kansas City, I thought, were the two worst. Kansas City's holding up their end of the bargain, although the Tigers are battling them for worse. You forgot about the Orioles being the worst team as well. They've actually won some games. I do give them credit. The Orioles are a sneaky team because they can flip that switch and score eight to 10 runs. That's the only thing they have in their back pocket. I don't see that coming out to Kansas City that often. The White Sox are a team that they allow five runs, but they score four. You know, they're on the cusp. They have some good prospects, but they're just not there yet. As far as 
the Mets in the second half, their pitching has been absolutely dynamite. And that's what that team is built around. They don't have a tremendous lineup offensively, but they have good pitchers in the bullpen, starting rotation. They're not a bad team. It just seems that they can never put it together for long stretches. And that's what you need to get in the playoffs when you're double-digit games back from the Braves. So I don't see them making a big push as far as the long game goes, but I'll have to take them against the White Sox because Dylan Cece, yeah, he's still a few years behind, I think. I agree with you, as we do have Scott Hastings joining me right here on the podcast. And Scott, is there anything else that's really standing out to you for Thursday slate? I know that we've got a couple games that are currently off the board with a few teams deciding what pitchers are going to be going with, but I do think that the Rays versus the Boston Red Sox series is pretty pivotal in the American League because both those teams are right in there. And then you also do have the Cincinnati Reds and Atlanta Braves going at it, and we all know that the Braves have been just absolutely dynamic ever since the beginning of the summer. Except for their bullpen. Yeah, that is very true. But the good news for the Atlanta Braves is they are getting in some bullpen help, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast. Yeah, hopefully they don't take the trends of the other players and make them their own. Hopefully they can come in and secure that bullpen because that is their biggest issue that, you know, the Braves have a very, very good squad. Josh Donaldson, how good is he looking right now after Cleveland flees Toronto and then they he went over to Atlanta? But he's starting to really flip a switch, which is scary for that division. And it's scary for the NL in general because, you know, he's a former MVP player. He can hit you 40 home runs, obviously won't get there this year, but 30 plus he carries that into the postseason that Braves team is a dangerous club you know the Tampa Bay Boston series is going to be terrific but the game I'm looking at is the Toronto and the aforementioned Baltimore Orioles Trent Thornton and Asher Wojciechowski I don't know how to say that one but I'm looking at over all day in that Trent Thornton horrendous yeah Trent Thornton has not necessarily had the best of stuff and I will say Wojciechowski Actually has looked decent in his last two starts. I will give him credit. He pitched a wonder against the Boston Red Sox, which I think that that's some sort of magic and wizardry had to happen in that game. But regardless, it is still a one-hitter against the Boston Red Sox, no matter how much of that pixie dust was involved with it. But there's no pixie dust needed whenever you follow Scott Hastings because he is just sharp all the time. He's always delivering great content out there for Odd Shark. Scott, let the good people at home know where they can get a little bit more of your work and where they can follow you on social media and elsewhere, because I know that you also do guys and bets quite a bit as well. Yeah, so oddshark.com, we have lots of stuff, interesting trends. I know you like to look at some of our stats there for pitcher run support and whatnot. Absolutely, best place for it, in my opinion. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of tools. Sometimes I forget that we even have some stuff there, so lots of fun there. I post plenty of articles. I've been a little quiet on Twitter recently, but I'll be gearing that back up, you know, with a lot of UFC picks and whatnot. That's at at Scotty H underscore OS. I had to remember that. (laughs) It's been a while, and it's been a while since we had Scott on the podcast, so big thanks to Him joining me right here on this wonderful show. And coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. 
And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to Scott Hastings of Odd Shark for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Zunity Kilo Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time of this fine podcast in which I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquirty1. With some of these plays, we are all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. With a couple of these games, they're currently off the board, and it's hard to bet on a game that currently has no lineup. Some of these games I'm in wait-and-see see mode due to lineup changes, line moves, everything like that. And that will all be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquirty1. As per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. And that starts with a game that ironically is off the board. 901, 902 on the bank rotation. The San Francisco Giants hit the road to face off against Philadelphia Phillies. Derek Rodriguez goes for the San Francisco Giants. Meanwhile, Jake Arrieta on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies. Derek Rodriguez was not announced as the starter until the evening for the Giants, so for that reason, this game is off the board. And if you're taking a look at Jake Arrieta, things have not necessarily been going as planned for him. Over the course of his last six starts, he's given up four earned runs or more in four of them, so not necessarily ideal 8-8 record. He has given up. 19 home runs in 123 and two-thirds innings. So he's giving up a little bit over one and a half home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Derek Rodriguez. This is a guy that was relegated to the bullpen for much of the year. But in his first start in the month of July against the Colorado Rockies, this came on July 15th, five innings pitch, gave up just one run. He did look very good last year, got off to an awful start this year. I do think that there's a little bit of an upside to him if he's able to get his command down. He's giving out over three walks per nine innings. That's a little bit of an issue. But what has been an issue for both teams is the fact that neither of them are able to hit at this point. Both of these teams playing a whole lot of unders with the San Francisco Giants. Seems like the bets are starting to dry up with this team. Got a whole bunch of guys hitting between a 255 and a 265. You've got Buster Posey, Pablo Sandoval, Austin Slater, all in that neighborhood. You've also been getting a lot out of Dickerson in the outfield. He has been tremendous, but Brandon Belt hitting a 233 despite the fact that he's got a double-digit round of home runs. Brandon Crawford's hitting a 230. Kevin Pillar, a 238. Joe Panic a 233. So, the list goes on and on there. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, you have a couple guys that are doing a good job of being able to get on base. Cesar Hernandez, Gene Segura and Scott Kingery, all guys in between the 275 and a 285. Then you got Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins, both being able to supply the boom for this team. They've combined for 70 home runs. JT Riamuto hitting right around at 270 as well. Mikel Franco has been cold. He's hitting right around at 235, and then they're just using a mismatch of outfielders like Roman Quinn and Nick Williams and guys like that that aren't necessarily getting the job done. I know that the San Francisco Giants did sell off some of their bullpen pieces. Mark Melanson, and Sam Dyson no longer out there in the fold, but they still do have a very good bullpen. And the Phillies certainly did bolster their bullpen, but the question is, are those guys going to be available for a day game 
game on Thursday? I don't think so. I think that the reinforcements are going to be coming on Friday. So for that reason, early lean on this game to the San Francisco Giants with the recent form of Jake Arrieta. If you're seeing a total on this game of like 10, probably going to be taking it under. That's what we've seen in the first couple games of this series. Meanwhile, if you're seeing a total more in the neighborhood of like 9 or something like that, might be looking at an over. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRS41 for set plays there. 903-904 on the bank rotation. The Chicago Cubs hit the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Jack Flaherty goes for the cards. Meanwhile, John Lester for the Chicago Cubs. 12 in this game, 8.5 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Cardinals, laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 128, your plus price with the Cubs is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 117. And this is a spot where I certainly do have to take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Going into Wednesday, the home team in this series for the year had won all 10 of the games. And we're noticing that the St. Louis Cardinals really starting to pick it up with their bat. They've also got a bullpen that ranks in the top five in regards to ERA out there in the big league. So they're doing a good job there. The Chicago Cubs right around 10th in that neighborhood. But you recall the weekend series against Milwaukee Brewers. They wound up blowing two games there. Craig Kimbrell's not looked like himself. Kyle Ryan, a guy that you can't really trust in. But you can trust in the fact that Paul Goldschmidt has really been picking it up with the team. He and Paul DeYoung both hanging between a 250 and a 260. Goldschmidt going into Wednesday at home run in seven out of his last nine games. Paul DeYoung, meanwhile, he's got 18 himself. You've got Taylor Edman and Colton Wong both hanging between a 260 and a 270. Tyler O'Neill and Jose Martinez are both hitting right around a 280 as well. Matt Wieters is hitting a 230 ever since Matt Carpenter got out of the fold. Things improved for this team. And Dexter Feller still hitting a little bit below 250 himself. That needs a little bit of work. But then you take a look at the Chicago Cubs. Got a whole bunch of guys hitting between a 280 and a 290 with power for this team. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, all in that neighborhood. Javi Baez really leading the team with home runs with 25. Wilson Contreras has 19. And then you've got Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo doing a good job as well. Rizzo, 21 home runs. Kyle Bryant, the same. And then you've got Jason Hayward hitting a 275 for this bunch. Ian Happ has returned to the lineup. He has a ton of lot in the few games that he's been back, but obviously that's a nice little whip. That's a nice little lift. Kyle Schwarber is only hanging right around at 225, but he's got 24 home runs. Then you got David Bodie, Albert Amora Jr. These guys are hitting between a 240 and a 250. You've got quite a few of those guys, including Rebel Garcia, that are doing a decent job of getting on base, but they do leave a little bit of something to be desired. And speaking of things to be desired, John Lester on the road. He's just been a little bit inconsistent so far this year. 9-6 record, 363 ERA. I will say, he seems to be doing some of his best pitching lately. In his last two road starts, he's won a combined 13 and a third innings, giving up just one run, so that's been big. And then you take a look at Jack Flaherty. He has been terrific himself. Over the course of his last four starts, he's given up a combined four earned runs. This is a guy that was really struggling towards the beginning of the year. And I do think that Jack Flaherty is going to be able to deliver another good start. I think Lester's going to be on point as well, but I do think that the bullpen and Paul Goldschmidt are going to be the difference makers in this one. So for that reason, going to be riding with the St. Louis Cardinals in this spot, and we're going to be taking this total under. When I came on this podcast, St. Louis was essentially minus 120 across the board, so I'm probably going to be winding up locking that in right as I get off this podcast. And with the under, just trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice, but I'm certainly going to accept 8.5 at minus 110 if that's all I can get because this total actually opened up at 9, so we saw an immediate early dip as I was talking about with Scott Hastings. 905-906 on the bank rotation. The Atlanta Braves playoffs the Cincinnati Reds. Anthony DiScalfani goes for the Reds. Max Freed goes for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is between 9 and 9.5. 
with the nine. The over is just a minus 120. The under is even with the nine and a half. Under is minus 120. Over is even. If you're looking at the Braves, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 158. Meanwhile, your plus price on these Cincinnati Reds is going to be anywhere between plus 135 and plus 144. And I do like what I've seen out of Anthony Scalfani recently, but I will say he does have an issue with giving up the long ball for the year. Anthony Scalfani, over the course of his 103 and a third innings, he's given up 19 home runs. That's right around 1.7 per nine innings. We have seen Freed really have some struggles himself. 11-4 record, 421 ERA, but you just take a look at his recent starts. Things have not necessarily gotten his plan. Ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's had four starts in which he's given up at least four earned runs. And then on top of that, he's only had three starts in which he's given up fewer than three earned runs over the course of 10 of them. So things are starting to dry up a little bit there. The Atlanta Braves are getting in bullpen reinforcements. And for the year, I know that a lot of people knock on the Atlanta Braves bullpen, but they're a top eight bullpen in regards to ERA. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, their bullpen has really come back to earth. They're in the bottom five in regards to ERA over the last 30 days. And I will say, they do still have some good power bats out there. Obviously, Yasiel Puig is no longer in the fold, but you do have one Eugenio Suarez, and he has done a very good job of being able to supply 29 home runs. His batting average, just below a 260, and then you got Joey Votto and Jesse Winker, both hitting between a 260 and a 270. Jose Iglesias and Nick Senzel, both hitting between a 275 and a 285. You do have to like the fact that they are getting a pair of outfielders stepping up in Philip Irvin and Josh Van Meter. Both these guys are hitting above a 300. Van Meter's been seeing some time recently, and he's been excelling. Scooter Jeanette, though, ever since coming off the injured list, has been a hot mess. He and Tucker Barnard, both hitting between a 210 and a 220. Jose Peraza's only hitting a 240 himself, and this is a red team that leads the league in regards to underrate. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side for the Atlanta Braves. You've got an offense that has scored the most runs in the major leagues ever since the beginning of the month of June. And that is headlined by a trio of guys with 25 home runs. Josh Donaldson, Freddie Freeman, and Ronald Acuna Jr. Ronald Acuna Jr. doing a great job of getting stolen bases at the leadoff spot. 290 batting average. Freddie Freeman, 305 batting average. He's got over 75 RBI. And then Josh Donaldson, 255 batting average, but he's really been picking up himself. Adam Duvall, ever since getting recalled from the minor leagues, he has been absolutely tremendous for this team. Ender Enciarte and Johan Camargo are now off the injured list. They're seeing their averages heighten a little bit, and you've got Ozzy Albies hitting a 285 himself. And whenever you need it, Matt Joyce and Charlie Culberson also able to deliver some good binge hits as well. I think the Atlanta Braves are going to be able to get to Anthony DiScalfani and take him deep a couple times. And I do think that they're going to get into a bullpen for the Reds that has really been struggling, so for that reason, we're going to be riding with the Braves in this spot and the total over. Right now, Wayne Simo, to see if I want to take the Braves on the run line or the money line, I am still analyzing that. And with this over currently wanting to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice, I am seeing this total move around a little bit. This opened up at 10. Now it's at 9.5 shaded to the under. So... I'm trying to see if I can maximize value there, but we're going to be riding with both of those. 907-908 on the bag rotation. The LA Dodgers are going to be playing O.C. San Diego Padres. Joey Lucchese goes for the Padres. Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers. Your total on this game is 7.5. Over is just a minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Dodgers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 195 and minus $2. Meanwhile, your plus price on the pods is anywhere between plus 175 and plus 180. This is a Padres team that is no longer with Femio Reyes. The Dodgers made a couple small moves at the trade deadline. They wound up picking up Tyler White from the Houston Astros and Christopher Nigirin from the 
Seattle Mariners. So those are some small additions, but the Dodgers looked very good in their series against Colorado. I will say that teams that go from Colorado and then travel do have a little bit of an issue adjusting to that. That is courtesy of Sean Harnish, but with the Dodgers, they are 40-14 and at home. And with the San Diego Padres, this is a team that has been scuffling a little bit, capped off by a loss a few days ago against the Baltimore Orioles. And for the Dodgers, you have got a bunch of guys that are really supplying the power for this team. Jock Peterson, only going to get 233, but he's got a double-digit round of home runs. Will Smith has really been getting jiggy with it all year long. He's hitting a 333. He should be seeing some more time at the catcher spot. Mac Beattie is hitting a 285. He has been doing a terrific job in clutch moments. Max Muncy, 260 batting average. His home run count currently at a 26. You've got Cody Bellinger just balling out 328 batting average, 80 RBI, and 34 home runs to go along with it. And then you got a bunch of guys like Alex Verdugo, Justin Turner. They're hitting in that realm of a 290. They've been able to step up as needed. Corey Seager has his batting average at a 272. He certainly has been upping his game. And then for the San Diego Padres, you now really do have to rely upon Hunter Renfro and Manny Machado for power as these two men have at least 26 home runs apiece. Machado, 26 home runs. His batting average is right around a 280. Meanwhile, with Hunter Renfro, he's only getting right around a 235 to a 240, but 29 home runs for him. You do have a couple guys, though, that they really do need to pick it up with their batting averages. You've got Francisco Mejia, Austin Hedges, Will Myers, Ian Kinsler and Josh Naylor. All these guys are hitting a 230 or lower, along with Luis Arias. Arias is only hitting a 091. The Minoza line is 200. That is well below it. Eric Hosmer, though, has been doing a good job of being able to drive guys in. He's got a 285 batting average. He's got over 70 RBI. And then you have Fernando Tatis Jr. at the top lineup, one of the most explosive players, I think, in regards to come-ups. 329 batting average, 19 home runs. I really do like his upside there. And Manuel Margot is hitting right around a 240 in pretty solid out there in the field, but all in all, I do think that even though the Dodgers have to reacclimate from coming back from Coors Field, they're going to be able to get a good start in this one out of Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw has been absolutely spectacular for the Dodgers. I think that they've only lost three of his starts so far this year. 9-2 record, 285 ERA. Ever since the All-Star break, he's made three starts, went six innings in each of them, gave up a combined three earned runs, and his swing and miss stuff is back as well. 26 strikeouts in those 18 innings. That is absolutely huge. Meanwhile, with Joey Lucchese, this is a guy that actually has a win at Dodgers Stadium this year. 7-5 record. He's been a little bit up and down. You take a look at what he's done in the month of July. In one of his starts, he wound up giving up six runs. He wound up having starts in which he gave up one, two, and three runs as well. So he's just been one of those guys that has been a little bit hot and cold. I think that he probably gives a medium start, but with the San Diego Padres, the bullpen has really been lacking aside from Kirby Yates. There's just not a lot of guys that you can trust in like a Trey Winchester to give you solid innings. So for that reason, looking at the Dodgers on the run line, and I am looking at the total over. With the over, I'm in Wayne Simo because the juice is very heavy. Meanwhile, with the Dodgers run line, I was able to get that at even. Seeing that more around minus 105 or minus 110 now. So I have already locked that one in. As we do move on to 909 on the bang rotation. It is the Toronto Blue Jays and they hit the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. It is going to be Trent Thornton going for the Toronto Blue Jays. Meanwhile, in regards to the betting board, it is listed as to be announced for the Baltimore Orioles, but it looks like it is going to be Asher Wojciechowski going for the Baltimore Orioles, which means that this game is off the board. Now, we saw the Toronto Blue Jays pull off a nice sweep against the Kansas City Royals, but I actually like what I've seen out of Wojciechowski. In the course of his last two starts, 
he has wound up giving up a grand total of four hits, and he wound up going 14 in the third innings, giving up two runs. He has been absolutely sensational for this Baltimore Orioles team, and he's got 37 strikeouts in 30 innings as well. He has given up the deep ball a little bit, and that is something that the Toronto Blue Jays do very well, but the Toronto Blue Jays as a team hitting just 234 for the year, that has been a little bit of an issue for them, but with the Toronto Blue Jays, you do also have a couple guys that have really been able to step up for the team in a very limited amount of at-bats. I really do like what I'm seeing out of Bo Bichette and then Kevon Biggio. He leaves something to be desired. He's only hitting a 215 as you take a look at the lineup that they trotted out there against the Kansas City Royals on Wednesday. Other than Lords Goriel, Bo Bichette, who really hasn't had too many at-bats, and Freddie Galvis, everyone else wound up leaving that game hitting a 230 or lower. But I will say this, you do have 16 home runs off the bat of Freddie Galvis, and even though Randy, Randall Gritchick, Teoscar Hernandez, Justin Smoke and Rowdy Telez all have batting averages below 230. They all have at least 15 home runs apiece, so they're certainly doing the job there. But then you need more out of guys like Brandon Jury, just the entire catcher spot in general, whoever they trot out there. It's been a hot mess for them. And they do lose Danny Hudson, but all in all, the bullpen for the Toronto Blue Jays has been solid, but Trent Thornton has not been. 3-7 and seven record, 545 ERA. Does a good job of being able to get swings and misses, but in the month of July, he's had one start in which he's given up fewer than four earned runs, and one start in which he's made it to the fourth end. That is just not good right there. And you even take a look at the month of June. He wound up giving up three earned runs or more in three out of those five starts. This is a guy that is just having a good go of it. Meanwhile, with the Baltimore Orioles, they are having a good go of it because they do have a little bit of power out there in the lineup. Renato Nunes, 25 home runs for him. He's hitting a little bit above a 250. And then you've got Trey Boom and Mancini, 24 home runs for him. His batting average hovering right around a 282. Jonathan Villar has been doing a solid job for this team. He's hitting right around a 265. Jace Peterson has been up and down, but he's hitting a 240. Pedro Severino, more around a 275. Got a couple guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average. C.V. Wilkerson, Richie Martin, Chris Davis, these are all guys that are in a 220 or lower. They wound up trading away Keon Broxton. He was a hot mess with this team, but they did not trade away Anthony Santander. He's hitting a little bit of above a 400, and I will say this for the Orioles. I know that they have had a little bit of transition with their bullpen, but they've actually been pitching a little bit better recently, so for that reason, early lean on this game would be to the plus price of the Baltimore Orioles. With regards to a total, if you're seeing something right around like a 9.5 to a 10 with the way that these teams are hitting, probably going to be looking at it over. If you're seeing something absolutely extreme like a 12 I might take it under but early leans are two and over and the Baltimore Orioles but as always check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Junior Scorty one for set plays there. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. The Boston Red Sox play host to the Tampa Bay Rays. Brendan McKay goes for the Rays. Meanwhile, Andrew Kashner for the Boston Red Sox. Your total on this game is 10.5. Over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Boston Red Sox, you are going to be laying anywhere between minus 122 and minus 130. Meanwhile, your plus price on the Tampa Bay Rays going to be anywhere between plus 110 and plus 120. And this is a spot where I do actually take a look at the Boston Red Sox. The Tampa Bay Rays certainly have been up and down, I would say, the past month and a half. They just go on streaks where they win four straight games, then they lose quite a few in a row. Brendan McKay, very good at the AAA level. He had an ERA below two. And at the Major League level, he certainly hasn't been terrible, but at the same time, he did have a very bad start against the Chicago White Sox his last time out, in which he gave up five runs in three and a third innings. He also hasn't been providing a lot of length. In all but one of his starts, he wound up not being able to make it to the sixth inning 
sixth inning. Meanwhile, Andrew Kasher, his first two starts in Boston were not necessarily good, but he's coming off a nice outing against the Yankees in which he gave up three runs in six and two-thirds innings. This is the most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues, according to our friends at Odd Shark. if you've laid $100 on him in every one of his starts, giving up right around 1.25 home runs per nine innings. He's done a good job limiting the walks to fewer than three per nine innings as well. And this is a Boston Red Sox team that is doing a great job of hitting Xander Bogarts. 315 batting average, 23 home runs, 81 RBI. Rafael Devers hitting right around at 330 himself. He's got 21 home runs. J.D. Martinez has been doing a great job in the middle of that lineup. His batting average, not quite where the other guys are. He is hitting more around a 295, but he is certainly supplying the boom as well as he's got 22 home runs for the year. You also have to like the fact that Mookie Betts has been doing a great job of being able to drive in home runs as well. 285 batting average for him. Andrew Benatendi has a batting average up to a 285. And even Sam Travis now is hitting a 275. Christian Vasquez a 280. You've got Jackie Bradley Jr., the weak link of the team, hitting at 230. And then you got Michael Chavis with 16 home runs, 260 batting average there. This is just a murderer's row. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, certainly do have some solid bats. Austin Meadows and Nathaniel Lowe are both hitting between a 290 and a 295. And in the case of Meadows, he's been able to go deep 15 times so far this year. Got a lot of guys that have batting averages right around to 275 or so. And they've got a home run count that's hovering right around 250. Tommy Pham is in that neighborhood, though it looks like he's a little bit banged up. But obviously, Garcia, he is out there in the fold. He's got 14 home runs so far this year. You've got William Adamas and Kevin Kiermaier, both hitting between a 237 and a 250. Matt Duffy and Eric Sogard, both hitting between a 290 and a 300. And you've also got Mark Brisset, who's doing a solid job as well. G-Man Choi is hitting a 260. But you really do like that possess. I know that Travis Sayarno had a three-home run game a few weeks ago, but he's hitting a 260 himself. And this just seems like a spot in which the boss of Red Sox are going to be able to get to Brandon McCain. I do think that they are going to be able to get a good start out of Andrew Casher. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the Boston Red Sox in this spot and this total under. I'm right now Wayne Seymour as I'm seeing money coming in on the Tampa Bay Rays. I would like to be able to try to get the most value as I can on this under as I'm noticing that the juice is starting to come in a little bit more on the over. 9-13, 9-14 on the banging rotation. It is the Cleveland Indians and they are going to be playing goes to the Houston Astros. Garrett Cole goes for the Astros. Meanwhile, Danny Salazar makes his first start since the 2017 season for the Indians. Your total on this game is 8.5. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 190 and minus 195. Your plus price with the Cleveland Indians is anywhere between plus 170 and plus 175. And it's just hard to trust in a guy that hasn't made a start since 2017. And allow me to layer this in on Danny Salazar. The last time he pitched in 2017, he made it to the seventh inning just twice, it looks like. He went seven innings in two of those starts. He had a couple in which he went like six and a third and everything like that. But this wasn't a man that was giving you a whole lot of length in general. Now, he is a solid pitcher that does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. He's got a career home runs per nine innings rate of 1.1. So he certainly has been doing his job there. But it's hard to really have trust in him. And I think that the Houston Astros are going to just absolutely tear him apart. Meanwhile, you take a look at Garrett Cole. He has been doing a terrific job all year long. This is a guy that's got 13 strikeouts per nine innings. We mentioned it with Scott Hastings of Odd Shark. This is a guy that has to be in the running for perhaps this young award. 12-5 and five record. Now he has been taken deep quite a bit as well. I will say he's got right around 
1.5 home runs per nine innings given up, but you take a look at what he's done ever since the beginning of the month of June. He's given up more than two earned runs in just one start. That is over the course of 11 starts. He has been absolutely sensational in that regard, and he's backed up by a lineup that is all of a sudden locked, loaded, and ready for bear. Alex Bregman, 260 batting average, 26 home runs for him. Jordan Alvarez is getting about a home run every 10 at-bats. His batting average hovering right around at 325 to a 330. You've also got Michael Brantley who's done a great job of getting on base. His batting average is a 320. You've got Yuri Gurriel. He has went deep 20 times. His batting average is at a 300. He's been one of the hottest players in the big leagues recently. Jose Altuve hitting above a 300. George Springer hitting a 290. He's got 24 home runs. Carlos Correa's back. He had a home run yesterday. Josh Reddick sitting at 280. Robin Cicerino's starting to pick up his batting average as well. You just take a look at it. They've got a lot of bats. For the Cleveland Indians, they certainly should have Hamiel Reyes in the fold for this game, so that is going to help them out. And Yasiel Puig, also a big help. And then you have Francisco Lindor, Oscar Mercado. Two guys are in above 290 at the top of the lineup. In the case of Lindor, he's got 18 home runs so far this year. Gotta like the fact that Carlos Santana has 23 home runs. His batting average is a 280. And then you've got a trio of guys in Jake Bowers, Roberto Perez, and Jose Ramirez hitting between a 234 and a 242. And Ramirez has really been picking things up. Meanwhile, Perez has 17 home runs. Jordan Lupo is hitting right around at 265 to a 270. And then you got Taylor Naquin hitting a 295 to help this team out as well. Jason Kipnis seeing a come up with his batting average right around a 245. But I do think that the Houston Astros are going to get a much, much better start out of Garrett Cole. We mentioned this as well, the Cleveland Indians top bullpen in regards to ERA out there in the big leagues, but you just have absolutely no idea what you're going to get out of Danny Salazar in this one. It could be great. It could be awful. This is a spot where I've just got to fade him and I've got to take the over with the way that the Houston Astros have been firing on all cylinders. When I came on this podcast, I was seeing only minus 120 in regards to shading on the over. I'm now seeing a minus 110, so might wind up locking that in with the Houston Astros run line. That is currently at minus 120. Certainly would like to lay a little bit less juice there, but we are going to be riding with both of those. 9-15, 9-16 on the bank rotation. The Miami Marlins are going to be playing also the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda, formerly known as Michael Pineda, goes for the Minnesota Twins. Jordan Yamimoto for the Miami Marlins. Your total on this game is 8. The over is juice of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. If you're looking at the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be laying it here. That is anywhere between minus 154 and minus 162. Your plus price with the Miami Marlins is anywhere between plus 140 and plus 150. Yamimoto got off to a very good start to his career, and then he just wound up getting touched up against the Arizona Diamondbacks in his last start. Certainly was a little bit of reality setting in there. And Michael Pineda, ever since coming off the injured list, he has been doing an absolutely terrific job for the Minnesota Twins. This is a guy that going on the injured list was giving up right around 1.9 home runs per nine innings. Now he's really not been giving up those home runs at all. As you take a look, ever since really the beginning of June, he's had one start in which he's given up more than three earned runs. So he's been doing a better job of keeping things out in front of him. He has given at least five innings in every one of his starts as well. This is a Twins bullpen that is bolstered a little bit more after they just made some wholesale changes. And I will say the Miami Marlins do back up Mr. Yamimoto with a good bullpen as well. This is a gentleman that is 4-2 and is giving up less than a home run per nine innings. But in that start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, he gives up six runs and four innings. Start before that against the Dodgers, five runs and four innings as well. So things aren't necessarily going well there. And for the Miami Marlins, you just don't have a whole lot of guys that are generating a lot of power in general. They weren't really able to get to the Minnesota Twins yesterday. You do have Brett Anderson, who's got 15 home runs for his 
for this team. His batting average is hovering right around a 245. Neil Walker has seen his average hit, though. He and Sterling Castro are hitting between a 250 and a 260. Jorge Alfaro and Cesar Puello both hitting between a 252 and a 262. But then you do have Harold Ramirez hitting a 270. Miguel Rojas is hitting a 285. And then you've got Garrett Cooper who's done a great job of getting on base all year long. Got the day off yesterday, but he's hitting a 300. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, who's not hitting home runs for this team? Eddie Rosario has 23 of them. Nelson Cruz has 25, Mitch Carver 20, Max Kepler 29. You've got Luis Reyes, who's not hitting home runs for the team, but he's hitting above a 360, and his on base percentage is nearly a 450. Jonathan Scope, Marwan Gonzalez, Byron Buxton, Jason Castro, all these guys hitting between a 250 and a 260, and Miguel Sano all of a sudden hitting a 250. He's getting a home run every 10 or so at bats. This lineup is just so locked and loaded. I don't know how Jordan Yamimoto is going to be able to keep up with all of them, and with the Minnesota Twins, they're a terrific road team. On the road, they are 35-20, and 20, and the most profitable road team out there at the big leagues. I just think that the Minnesota Twins are going to wind up lambasting the Miami Marlins in this spot. I do think that Yamimoto is going to be able to give a little bit of something, but I think that Pineda winds up holding the Miami Marlins down to, say, one or two runs, and the Minnesota Twins are going to get a convincing win. So for that reason, looking at the Twins on the run line and the total under, have already locked in this total under. I was able to get favorable juice there. Meanwhile, the Twins run line, seeing that right around even to plus 105, and Wayne Simo there to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit of a better price. 917-918 on the bank rotation. It is the Chicago White Sox, and they're playing also the New York Mets. Zach Wheeler goes for the Mets. Dylan Cease for the Chicago White Sox. Your total on this game is 9.5. The over is of anywhere between minus 115 and minus 110. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Mets, anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165 is what you're laying. The plus price on the White Sox. Anywhere between plus 145 and plus 154. Things have not necessarily gone the way of Dylan Cease, and for that matter, things have not necessarily gone the way of Zach Wheeler either, but Zach Wheeler certainly has the longer track record. Dylan Cease actually a top 30 prospect according to MLB Pipeline, but things have just not really materialized for him. Meanwhile, with Zach Wheeler, in the month of July, he's wound up making three starts. He was on the injured list for much of July, but in his last two starts, a combined 10 and a third innings, giving up nine runs there. In the month of June, he had three out of his five starts in which he gave up three runs or more as well. So this is a guy that's certainly been getting banged around. But for Dylan Cease, one and three record. Over the course of his four starts, he's won 21 innings, giving up four home runs, 12 walks. That's over five walks per nine innings. 686 ERA, 162 whip. And this is a New York Mets team that I know that they've been a little bit cold towards the top of this series, but they've got a lot of guys that are doing a good job of hitting, and it's all led off by Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil doing a terrific job of getting on base. On base percentage just below a 400, 333 batting average for him. You've got Pete Alonzo. That man has 34 home runs, 77 RBI, and a batting average hovering right around a 255 and a 260. Michael Conforto also hitting right around a 255 himself. He's got 21 home runs. You do have to like the fact that Wilson Ramos is seeing some more consistent at-bats. He and Todd Frazier hitting between a 245 and a 260. Got Robinson Cano only in a 235, but last week he wound up having a three home run game. Amid Rosario doing a solid job of getting on base, 275 batting average. JD Davis ain't more in the realm of a 300. Denny Echeverria leaves a little bit of something to be desired, but the Chicago White Sox really leaving a lot to be desired with their bats. I believe in 12 out of their first 16 games coming out of the All Star break, they had three runs or fewer in their games, though. I will say, they do have a lot of good batting averages. They do have Tim Anderson back. 
He, John Jay, and Ryan Goins all hitting between a 310 and a 325. Lourdes Garcia is hitting a 292. Yuan Makata wound up getting a break yesterday, but he's got 20 home runs. His batting average is hovering in the neighborhood of a 300. Jose Abreu has seen his batting average up to a 262, but he's still got 72 RBI, 22 home runs himself. You do have to do something about Wellington Castillo and AJ Reed, both hitting below the Mendoza line, and James McCann seeing his batting average up to a 275, but Yomer Sanchez is hitting a 250. Adam Engel in that neighborhood as well, and you now have Eloy Jimenez back. He struggled ever since coming off the injured list, but I do like what he brings to the table. And for the Chicago White Sox, you do have a lot of guys out there in the bullpen. They didn't wind up selling too much of that bullpen, so you're able to still rely upon guys like Aaron Bummer and company. And for the New York Mets, they actually have one of the best bullpen ERAs out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, but I do think that Zach Wheeler gives up some runs, but I also think that, man, Dylan Cease is a guy that I cannot back. Even with that good White Sox bullpen, they're probably going to be having to go five-plus innings in this one. So for that reason, we're going to be looking at the Mets on the run line and this total over, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice on this over, so I'm in wait-and-see mode there. And with the Mets run line currently seeing that at minus 105, we'd like to be able to lay no juice if at all possible. So we're in wait-and-see mode on those, and we wrap things up with 19-920 on the bang rotation, as it is the Oakland A's, and they're playing host to the Milwaukee Brewers. For the Oakland A's, we know who they're going to be starting, as that's going to be Daniel Magden. According to the Las Vegas odds board, it is is to be determined for the Milwaukee Brewers, but ESPN is showing me that that's going to be Chase Anderson, so for that reason, this game is presently off the board. I will say for Daniel Begden, over the course of his last couple starts, he's wound up giving up right around two and a half home runs per nine innings. He did a very good job. First 35 or so innings of the year did not allow a home run, but the levies have really broken for Mr. Megden. In his last two starts, he wound up giving up four runs in each of them, and he went a combined eight and two-thirds innings in those starts, and you just take a look at it Over the course of his last seven starts, he's given up three earned runs or more in five of them, four earned runs or more in four of them, and Chase Anderson actually doing a great job of keeping things out in front of him giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. You take a look at what he's done in the month of July. He's not necessarily given this team a lot of length. He has not made it a full six innings in the month of July, but has wound up giving the team six starts, and he's given up two runs in all but one of them. The one that he did not, he wound up going five and two-thirds innings against the Atlanta Braves and gave up zero earned runs. So you sort of know what you're going to get out of Chase Anderson for the Milwaukee Brewers. The bullpen has not necessarily been great. They certainly have acquired a couple pieces. I don't know if they're going to be able to use them in this game, but what they are going to be able to use is that man, Christian Yelich. 335 batting average, 36 home runs, 80 RBI. Those stats going into Wednesday night's game. You've also got Mike Moussakis doing a good job of being able to go yard. 26 home runs, 260 batting average there. You've got Lorenzo Cain, Matt Gamble, and Yasmani Grandal all hitting between a 250 and a 260. You can chuck into that fold Eric Thames as well. And in the case of Keston Hira, this is a guy that is hitting a 320. His home run count is at 11. He's getting a home run every 14 or so at bats. You do have a couple guys that are struggling with the bat in Orlando Garcia and Manny Pena. They're both hitting below a 230, but now you have Asus Aguiar no longer in the fold. He was a struggling bat. Ryan Braun is hitting a 270, so I like what I'm seeing there. Meanwhile, with the Oakland A's, They got Nick Martini back yesterday. This is a guy that should be able to give them a little bit of a surge down the stretch. You do have a couple guys that they do need to pick it up with their bats. Franklin Barreto is hitting well below a 200. He's been seeing a couple appearances. Jerickson Profar and Chris Herman both hitting below a 220 themselves. You've got Mark Hanna 
and Robbie Grossman both hitting between a 245 and a 255. Chris Davis was able to get a home run earlier in this series, but he's still hitting just a 230. Has essentially seven home runs ever since the beginning of May, so he's certainly had his struggles with Matt Olson and Matt Chapman. Combined 45 home runs between the two of them, both hitting between a 260 and a 265, and then you've got Marcus Simeon hitting a 270 himself, so that is certainly encouraging. And with the Oakland A's, you've got one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of June. Top five bullpen ERA. Meanwhile, with the Milwaukee Brewers, it has been hot and cold, but I do think that Chase Anderson is going to be able to give a much better start in this spot than Daniel Begden. Marine Layer is not going to be out as this is going to be an afternoon game, but I think that the Milwaukee Brewers just have a little bit more power than the Oakland A's. So for that reason, we're going to be looking at the Milwaukee Brewers in this spot as long as the price is good. There's no game, there's no line on this game as of right now. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Junior Square One for set plays there. But going to be looking at the Milwaukee Brewers. If you're seeing a total of like nine, nine and a half, might be leaning towards an over. Anything double digits, certainly going to be looking at an under. So that is my thoughts on that game. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can hear my thoughts every day if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. A big thanks to our man Scott Hastings of Odd Shark for joining me in the second segment. If you ever have a question for the podcast, always feel free to tweet it in at GNRSquare81. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.